Back to Basics, a complete Back to Basic program recorded live during the Back to Basic study by Tim B. My name is Tim and I am an alcoholic. Hi, Tim. All right. So tonight, week five, step five, week five, step five. Tonight, we're going to be talking in the big book, page 72 through all of 75, which is sort of a short read. And then we're going to go out of the 12 and 12 because we have such a short read, we're gonna do all of the step, which uh, starts on page 55 and goes through 62. So we're gonna do all of that read, and then we'll have enough time at the end for some questions. Some of you probably already have done your fourth step, you filled it out, and maybe you've already approached someone and have done your fifth step or not. If you haven't, okay, you still have another week to do it. Because keep in mind, when you come back the following week, next Tuesday, you should have your fifth step done, fourth and fifth step done, because that night is step six. And if you want to stay on target, uh, that's where you want to be. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, it's great to learn about a step, but it's much more important to do the step rather than, you know, all this sort of nuances that are great informational stuff but uh, does you no good if you don't actually do it. And we're gonna talk about some of the significant reasons on why we should. Big book, page 72, chapter six, into action. Having made our personal inventory, what's that? Step four, what shall we do about it? We have been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. So as we've said, using other words in the past is, if we have resentments, fears, and harms, harms that we are ashamed of or harms that we have not made amends of, it's blocking us from the sunlight of the spirit. So that's another way of saying obstacles in our path. What's our path? To be able to do good 12-step work, right? To relieve suffering in the world is our goal. It's, big, it's a big ticket. We had admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. And we have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. That means that's what we got out of writing our st fourth step. Now, these are about to be cast out. This, this requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So until we've admitted to God, ourselves, and to another human being, we've actually not done step five. This is perhaps difficult especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons, plural, why we should do so, the best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. That's a pretty good reason, right? If we're here to give up booze and drugs, 
And the big book tells us if you skip this step, you may not be successful. I think that's a pretty good reason. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives, trying to avoid this humbling experience. They have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk, having persevered with the rest of the program. They wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory, all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. They have spent we have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons. So that tells us that it can be singular, one person, or more than one. You may tell your sponsor nine of the 10 things that you that are, are pertinent, and the 10th thing you find needs to be told to somebody else, like your rabbi or psychologist or priest or whatever. You get it? So you it can be more than one person. Person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must and, of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search 
our acquaintance for a closed-mouthed, understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence, that's number one, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at. That's number two. These are criteria, right? Here's number three, that he will not try to change our plan. But we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride, humility, and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We could look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Here's the promises for doing step five. Here they are. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we are beginning to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. So those are all promises for taking the fifth step. So what happens after we do our fifth step? Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. So that's page 59, right? Carefully reading the first five proposals, first five steps. We ask, we're asking ourselves, we ask if we have had omitted anything. Should probably read that again. We ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. 
Here's questions we ask ourselves after that one hour. We've pulled the book down from the shelf, and now we're going to kind of meditate on this. Here's the questions we meditate on. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? So we're going to stop there tonight. That's step five. And you can see all those uh, construction uh, imageries that uh, the uh, big book authors gave us. We're going to switch over to the 12 and 12, about the same number of pages in here. I tried to see if there was a place, if there were some areas where I could just read a paragraph and skip a paragraph. But it seems like it's all pertinent uh, information. So bear with me. If you don't have your 12 and 12 in front of you, no big deal. We're on page 55. And uh, it is uh, reading all of step five out of the 12 and 12. And I think you'll, uh, I'm confident you'll feel as though this was worth our time. So reminding us that the uh, step says, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. All of AA's 12 steps asked to go contrary to our natural desires. They all deflate our egos, our false self. When it comes to ego deflation, Few steps are harder to take than five, but scarcely any step is more necessary to long-time long sobriety and peace of mind than this one. AA experience has taught us we cannot live alone with our pressing problems and the character defects which cause or aggravate them. If we have swept the searchlight of step four back and forth over our careers, and it has revealed in stark relief those experiences we'd rather not remember if we have come to know how wrong thinking and action have hurt us and others, then we need to quit living by ourselves with those tormenting ghosts of yesterday. Gets more urgent than, than ever. We have to talk to somebody about them. So intense though is our fear and reluctance to do this that many AAs at first try to bypass step five. We search for an easier way, which usually consists of the general and fairly painless admission that when drinking, we were sometimes bad actors. Then, for good measure, we add dramatic descriptions of that part of our drinking behavior, which our friends probably know about anyhow. But of the things which really bother and burn us, we say nothing. Certain distressing or humiliating memories we tell ourselves ought not be shared with anyone. These will remain our secret. Not a soul must ever know. We hope they'll go to the grave with us. Yet, if AA's experience means anything at all, this is not only unwise, but it is actually a perilous resolve. Few muddled attitudes have caused us more trouble than holding back on step five. Some people are unable to stay sober at all. Others will relapse periodically until they really clean house. Even AA old timers, sober for years, often pay dearly for skimping this step. They will tell how they tried to carry the load alone how much they suffered of irritability, anxiety, remorse, and depression, and how, unconsciously seeking relief, they would sometimes accuse even their best friends 
of the very character defects they themselves were trying to conceal. They always discovered that relief never came by confessing the sins of other people. Everybody had to confess his own. This practice of admitting one's defects to another person is, of course, very ancient. It has been validated in every century and is characterized and it characterizes the lives of all spiritually centered and truly religious people. But today, religion is by no means the sole advocate of this saving principle. Psychiatrists and psychologists point out the deep need every human being has for practical insight and knowledge of his own personality flaws and for discussing and for a discussion of them with an understanding and trustworthy person. So far as alcoholics are concerned, AA would go even further. Most of us would declare that without a fearless admission of our defects to another human being, we could not stay sober. It seems plain that the grace of God will not enter to expel our destructive obsessions until we are willing to try this. What we are likely to receive, what are we likely to receive from step five? For one thing, we shall get rid of that terrible sense of isolation we've always had. Almost without exception, alcoholics are tortured by loneliness. Even before our drinking got bad and people began to cut us off, nearly all of us suffered the feeling that we didn't quite belong. Either we were shy and dared not draw near others, or we were apt to be noisy good fellows, craving attention and companionship, but never getting it, at least to our way of thinking. There was always that mysterious barrier which could neither, which we could neither surmount nor understand. It was as if we were actors on a stage, suddenly realizing that we did not know a single line of our parts. That's one reason we loved alcohol too well. It did let us act extemporaneously, <laughs> extemporaneously, but even Bacchus boomeranged on us and we were finally struck down and left in terrible loneliness. When we reached AA and for the first time in our lives stood among people who seemed to understand, the sense of belonging was tremendously exciting. We thought the isolation problem had been solved, but we soon discovered that while we weren't alone anymore in a social sense, we still suffered many of the old pangs of anxious apartness until we had talked with complete candor of our conflicts and had listened to someone else do the same thing. We still didn't belong. Step five was the answer. It was the beginning of true kinship with man and God. This vital step was also the means by which we began to get the feeling that we could be forgiven no matter what we had thought or done. Often it was while working on this step with our sponsors or spiritual advisors that we first felt truly able to forgive others, no matter how deeply we had felt they had wronged us, 
Last week, I had said I didn't know if forgiveness was such an important element of, of having a resentment, in other words, to let something go and actually forgive the person. I've changed my mind. I'm reading this more clearly now, and it says forgiveness is an element of letting the resentment go. I don't know where I ended there. Our moral inventory had persuaded us that all around forgiveness was desirable. But it was only when we resolutely tackled step five that we inwardly knew we'd be able to receive forgiveness and give it to. Another great dividend we may expect from confiding our defects to another human being is humility, a word often misunderstood to those who have made progress in AA. It amounts to a clear recognition of what? and who we really are, followed by a sincere attempt to become what we could be. Therefore, our first practical move toward humility must consist of recognizing our deficiencies. No defect can be corrected unless we clearly see what it is, but we shall have to do more than see. Isn't that sometimes where therapy ends? Like, oh, like we, oh, yeah, I got it all figured out, okay. The objective look at ourselves we achieved in step four was, after all, only a look. All of us saw, saw, for example, that we lacked honesty and tolerance, that we were beset at times by attacks of self-pity or delusions of personal grandeur. But while this was a humiliating experience, it didn't necessarily mean that we had yet acquired much actual humility. Though now recognized, our defects were still there. Something had to be done about them. And we soon found, very uh, triple underlined, we, and we soon found that we could not wish or will them away by ourselves. We're powerless over them. We don't have the power to get rid of them. More realism and therefore more honesty about ourselves are the great gains to make under the influence of step five. As we took inventory, we began to suspect how much trouble self-delusion had been causing us. This had brought a disturbing reflection. If all our lives had been more or less fooled, our, if all our lives we had more or less fooled ourselves, how could we now be so sure that we weren't still self-deceived? How could we be certain that we had made a true catalog of our defects and had really admitted them, even to ourselves? Because we were still bothered by fear, self-pity, and hurt feelings, it was probable we couldn't apprise ourselves fairly at all. Appraise ourselves, excuse me. It was probable we couldn't appraise ourselves fairly at all. Too much guilt and remorse might cause us to dramatize and exaggerate our shortcomings. Or anger and hurt pride might be the smokescreen under which we were hiding some of our defects while we blamed others for them. Possibly, too, we were still handicapped by many liabilities, great and small, we never knew we had. Hence, it was most evident that a solitary self-appraisal and the admission of our defects based upon that alone wouldn't be nearly enough. We'd have to have 
outside help if we were surely to know and admit the truth about ourselves, the help of God and another human being. Only by discussing ourselves, holding back nothing, only by being willing to take advice and accept direction, could we set foot on the road to straight thinking, solid honesty, and genuine humility. Yet many of us still hung back. We said, why can't God, as we understand him, tell us where we were astray? If the creator gave us our lives in the first place, then he must know in every detail where we have since gone wrong. Why don't we, ha why don't we make our admissions to him directly? Why do we need to bring anyone else into this? At this stage, the difficulties of trying to deal rightly with, with God by ourselves are twofold. Though we may at first be startled to realize that God knows all about us, we are apt to get used to, to that quite, quite quickly. Somehow being alone with God doesn't seem as embarrassing as facing up to another person. Until we actually sit down and talk aloud about what we have done, what we, what we have so long hidden, our willingness to clean house is still largely theoretical. When we are honest with another person, it confirms that we have been honest with ourselves and with God. The second difficulty is this. What comes to us alone may be garbled by our own rationalization and wishful thinking. The benefit of talking to another person is that we can get his direct comment and counsel on our situation. And there can be no doubt in our minds what that advice is. Going it alone in spiritual matters is dangerous. How many times have we heard well-intentioned people claim the guidance of God when it was all too plain that they were so sorely mistaken? Lacking both practice and humility, they had deluded themselves and were able to justify the most arrant nonsense on the ground that this was what God had told them. It is worth noting that people of very high spiritual development almost always insist on checking with friends or spiritual advisors the guidance they feel they have received from God. Surely then a novice ought not lay himself open to the chance of making foolish, perhaps tragic, blunders in this fashion. While the comment or advice of others may be by no means infallible, it is likely to be far more specific than any direct guidance we may receive while we are still so inexperienced in establishing contact with a power greater than ourselves. Our next problem will be to discover the person in whom we are to confide. Here we ought to take much care, remembering that, pr that prudence is a virtue which carries a high rating. Perhaps we shall need to share with this person facts about ourselves which no, no others ought to know. We shall want to speak with someone who is experienced, who not only, who not only has stayed dry, but has been able to surmount other serious difficulties. Difficulties, perhaps, like our own. This person may turn out to be one sponsor, but not necessarily so. 
If you have developed a high confidence in him and his temperament and problems are close to your own, then such a choice will be good. Besides, your sponsor already has the advantage of knowing something about your case. Perhaps, though, your relation to him is such that you would care that you would care to reveal only part of your story. If this is the situation, by all means do so, for you ought to make a beginning as soon as you can. It may turn out, however, that you'll choose someone else for the more difficult and deeper revelations. This, this individual may be entirely outside of AA. For example, your clergyman or your doctor. For some of us, a complete stranger may prove the best bet. The real tests of the situation are your own willingness to confide and your full confidence in the one with whom you share your first accurate self-survey. Even when you found the person, it frequently takes great resolution to approach him or her. No one ought to ought to say the AA program requires no willpower. Here is one place you may require all you've got. Excuse me. Here is one place you may require all you've got. Happily, though, the chances are that you will be in for a very pleasant surprise. When your mission is carefully explained and it is seen by the recipient of your confidence how helpful he can really be, the conversation will start easily and will soon become and will soon become eager. Before long, your listener may well tell a story or two about himself, which will place you even more at ease. Provided you hold back nothing, your sense of relief will, will mount from minute to minute. The damned up emotions of years break out of their confinement and miraculously vanish as soon as they are exposed. As the pain subsides, a healing tranquility takes its place. And when humility and serenity are so combined, something else of, of great moment is apt to occur. Many an AA, once an agnostic or atheist, atheistic, tells us that it was during this stage of step five that is first that he first actually felt the presence of God. And even those who had faith already often become conscious of God as they never were before. This feeling of being at one with God and man, this emerging from isolation through the open and honest sharing of our terrible burden of guilt, brings us to a resting place where we may prepare ourselves for the following steps toward a full and meaningful sobriety. Okay. So I hope that explained a little long, so I apologize, but I hope that explained the importance of doing this and motivated you to do it. Um, uh, if you do it uh, this week, you are going to come back next week and uh, we are as a crew going to do step six and, um, you know, continue on with the process. This uh, four you doing on your by yourself at home and five doing with some sort of sharing partner are really the only two steps that you're going to do outside this room. Uh, or agree to do outside this room uh, once we get to um, step uh, step nine, for example, you're really just going to be agreeing to go out and make your uh, make your amends. Mm -hmm.